Welcome, welcome, welcome back for another episode of MCFC, the Movie Cinema Film Club, where we talk about all the films that you should have watched and maybe we haven't or did. Uh, it, it doesn't matter. It's week to week. Um, this week, we've got Playtime, directed by Jacques Tati. And I don't know if that's exactly how you say it, but that's how I'm saying it. Um, before we get into the movie, and this week is Ian's pick, we're very excited to talk about that. We're going to do our daily, which we always do. Like, what's going on with your life this week? Ian, can you bring us right out of the gate? What's your daily? Uh, all right, Bo. Well, my daily, the highlight of last week, uh, I've been really enjoying exploring the local art scene here in Dallas. There's some cool shit that's going on. My buddy Patrick, shout out Patrick, invited me to this cool art show Saturday. Uh, this uh, photographer, Will Von Holten, and, uh, you know, kind of... He does a lot of uh, nudes, uh, but then he also like uh, photographed like Leon Bridges, like right before he broke and got famous. And there's like some really cool portraits, but it was definitely like way more impressive than I expected. And I'm really grateful that I attended it. But uh, it was uh, at the at the gallery. They had a live photo shoot happening, and it's something I've never really seen before. And it was really fascinating uh, because you know they had this like very attractive model. Uh, basically posing in front of this audience while he's photographing her and it's like projected on a big screen. And, uh, you know, it was very like that classic, that famous Marilyn Monroe, like sheer, uh, like pink sheer. I don't know, like Lindsay Lohan did another version of it, but something similar to that where she was essentially, but like pretty much she was wearing next to nothing in front of this like huge audience. But it was cool to see that moment where it, that fine line of erotic art versus por pornography or something. And nothing was weird or creepy. It was like very like, Oh, this is like a really amazing professional model and photographer, like doing their thing. And I'd never seen anything like that. Uh, and it was really cool to be in an environment where that wasn't weird. Uh, really fascinating to me. I actually talked to the model after I was like, Oh, it was really great. Like that was really cool. I never seen anything like that. And she was really grateful that the audience wasn't like, you know, <laughs> immature in a way but it was fascinating for me to see that thing that probably i don't know again that they, they often talk about that fine line between art and pornography or smut and i was like oh that was art that was kind of cool so that was the highlight of my week going to this like cool art event in dallas i like that that's awesome that sounds awesome yeah i mean uh going to school for photography um it is kind of funny how much, or even art is like, it is funny how much people put stress on nudity as being like a shameful or uh, pornographic thing and how much in art school, it is just the body. It is just the form. It isn't sexual or it is, but it's not in a, in a creepy way. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's nice to see that uh, that's happening in a public setting to where people can go like, oh, this isn't just pornography. This is like, this is art. This is beauty in its own way. So that's awesome. Um, Brittany. Hey. What are you doing this week with your daily? Well, uh, mine is so silly, and so I'm glad that I'm going after Ian's very uh, enlightened moment. But uh, <laughs> the other night, I was, you know, it's that, that point when you're, you're on your way home and it's late enough that you know, like, I'm definitely not going to go home and, like, cook a meal 
you know so like i should just grab something so i stopped at this newish uh mexican restaurant by my house that i hadn't been to yet and uh, i walked in and you could tell immediately that it was like a family-owned thing because you have that quintessential like the kid the little kid in the table in the corner with like his ipad and his homework and like his like colored pencils and whatever like strewn across the table you know and i was like oh that's cute i ordered my food and i sat down and i was waiting and uh the kid who was probably like seven ish uh walked over to me and uh, clearly did not speak english and like he just came over and he was like hola como estas and just like started talking to me and like i was just like sitting there on my phone whatever and uh i i had to kind of like i just like had this conversation with this kid in spanish and like halfway through kind of realized like whoa like a i can't remember the last time i actually like used spanish in a conversational way B, how am I making sense of what this kid is saying and like replying to him without thinking? I don't know. It was just a weird moment of like this like repressed language that I like don't use anymore and haven't used in forever, just like naturally poured out of my mouth. And it like felt like this almost like out of body experience of like, how is this happening? Where is this coming from? How do I still remember this? Like, it was just very strange. Um, But I was kind of like, whoa, like that's, that's cool that your brain can still retain the ability to have that conversation, especially in like, it's not like I, you know, traveled to Mexico and then was like, okay, let me like remember my Spanish and use it. You know, like it was like completely, uh, I was not prepared for it. And I was just like, whoa, good job, brain. You can still do it. I, it was just that, a random thing, but yeah, <laughs> I thought it was awesome. pretty cool. I remember Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> good for you. Good for you. You're like, I'll have a taco, a quesadilla. <laughs> yeah, hey. and can you, can you tell your auntie to hurry up? Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, andale, andale, andale. Oh, see, so you um, awesome too. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, I know. Arriba. I, I only know it from uh, uh, Speedy Gonzalez, Speedy Gonzalez from Looney Tunes, which is so racist. Um, anyway, uh, okay, so my, my daily, your daily. is actually um, remembering something as well, which is <laughs> remembering that live music is amazing uh last night i went to a concert uh with brit we went to see the bahamas live and it was an amazing show and it was so fantastic to just be in a space where you know honestly i typically hate when people talk during concerts but just the chatter the chatter the involvement the location the the music the sound the entire production i was like i missed this a lot and so this week for me it's just live music go see something live uh, for me it was bahamas and it was amazing but like if you haven't been since the pandemic get your little booty out there and go see something live and enjoy something with a, a group of people you know mm-hmm. whatever that is it could even be a movie but go go be part of something that has people involved go do it have some playtime. That's it. Maybe. Yeah. Um, let's let's actually uh, let's get into that film today because, again, this week's movie is Playtime by Jacques Tati. It is Ian's week. Ian, tell us what's the synopsis or why did you pick this film? Like, what what's going on here? Well, I got my malt balls and I'm ready to go check out tonight's feature, which is Jacques Tati's <laughs> uh, 1967 film playtime 
A brief synopsis for our listeners. A meandering Mr. Hulot stumbles through chaotic scenes of bustling city life, ultimately finding himself center stage in an all-night rager. Through various lenses, we see him experience befuddlement with modernity. Who doesn't? Uh, I am fascinated to hear from both of you of what you thought of Jacques Tati's, which he's self-described as his magnum opus. And I'm going to start. I'd like to hear from Britt. What are some your, of your initial thoughts on Playtime? So many. Um, this was definitely. Thank one you, of Brett. The, okay, so yeah. Bo. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> wow, we are on one today, huh? Um, <laughs> this was one of the more interesting films that we've seen in a long time for so many reasons. Uh, the first thing that I wrote down was quietly absurd um which i think if i had to pick like the shortest and sweetest way to say what i enjoyed the most about this was just that there was so much to be found within any given scene that wasn't being really presented to you it just existed and if you were looking at the top left corner of the screen versus the middle versus the bottom right like you might be seeing or laughing at or experiencing completely different things and this is one of those things that uh I definitely want to rewatch, not only because I enjoyed it, but because I do feel like there were times where there was so much going on in the screen that I'm like, I'm sure I missed something. Like I was looking at this couple over here, but like I could tell there was a lot of movement movement over there, you know? Um, so that was wild. I think this was uh, super creative and inventive. Um, it in the beginning it felt a little bit like uh mr bean ish but i think that it very quickly sort of evolves way beyond that and is so much more intelligent and like saying a lot more about the world and society and technology and all of these things um i also very quickly i was sort of like you know like where is this going what's going on but again it's like same with like the mr bean thing i'm like nope don't care like i don't need it to go anywhere like this is a very different like this is clearly not going to be a normal movie like i just feel like there were a lot of choices as a viewer you kind of have to make very quickly to be like oh nope forget everything i know we're doing a very different thing um and that was great uh the sound design was otherworldly all of the attention to detail of so many ways that the sound worked in this was just like, uh, I don't even, I don't understand. It was just brilliant. Um, the visuals were great. The color palette, um, the way that it kind of started, everything was like so gray and it, everything mm. looked very monochromatic in the same. Um, and it, it did generally like stay that way, but I do think it got a little bit more like as that final uh, restaurant scene kind of came to its, you know, hmm. full conclusion, like things got a little bit more like, you know, poppy and bright. Um, I have a lot of things to say, but I feel like I want to give the opportunity for I, I, I you know, I'm sure Bo might have some similar things. So I'm going to like cut my notes in half and just uh, just let somebody else go. <laughs> 
Well, no, and and a quick note on that about the grayness of the film. I guess you know, and the little research I did, he, you know, he wanted it to look like it was shot in black and white, even though it wasn't, and like mm-hmm. intentionally like have these little highlights of just like one little piece of red in the scene, one piece of green. Those are super thoughtful mm-hmm. and intentional. Like, how can I make this as gray and dark as possible to really highlight those moments? So, but yeah. uh, Bo. As our resident photographer, um, yes, please, uh, your thoughts on playtime. Well, I mean, yes, I I have lots of thoughts. Um, but as a photographer, I will tell you this like, there were so many scenes where I was like, stop, pause, let me take a picture of that, stop, pause. It's just like, there are so many great scenes, especially there's a scene where, uh, in the very beginning of the film, there's the main character or if you will, the main character sitting on a chair, there's the bellman or the, the door guy. And yeah, he's kind great. of like looking down the hallway. And then there's this guy who runs down the hallway and it's like, ticket, 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 ticket. And it's this li- lo- like longing of tapping of the shoes. And it's, it takes forever. The scene is so long and just arduous. And it's like, I felt like I loved that scene. I kept wanting to like take a photo of it the entire I was like, oh, if I could only be there right now just to be <laughs> in that moment. It's such a good shot all around. Anyway, it, it is a photographer's dream. It really is. Um, I wrote down a couple things. One, I felt like it was a social commentary on the nuances of life and uh, an exploration of what the future might be and an exhausting take on what living in a modern society with the constraints of manners and expectations. I wrote that down because as I was watching, I was like, it really did feel like a lot of this movie was sort of making fun of what we do as a society because we think we're supposed to do the things that we're supposed to like the way we're supposed to act in public. Uh, there was this great scene with one of the, the actors who was like, he did everything in like, like uh, he, he like packed his cigarettes and then like just tipped his hat and he like <laughs> tapped his pen and he put it in his pocket. And it was like, these are all things that people are doing. They're doing, but like, why is this character doing it in that way? It almost felt like this is what you're supposed to do. This ridiculous, like uh display of theatrics to like, be in publicity be in the public eye like oh i i shuffle my collar and then i do this and i tap my pipe twice and i tip my hat and it's like it's all this like silly stuff they're like why do we do it it's so stupid it's so stupid i'm not sure if you guys remember that part yeah it is it is all theater in my opinion and it's like i like that this director is sort of like poking fun of that throughout the entire film the entire film was sort of like yeah, we're all, it's kind of dumb what we do. It's kind of like, dumb. Uh, it's like the two guys that are like the greasers that are like, <laughs> oh, yeah. Like they're like, oh my God, we're cool guys, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But. Well, it was very much like, and I wrote this word down, which was caricature, because it's like a lot of these characters were caricatures of that idea. The Japanese guy that comes in and like bows like five, teen, five to ten times, and like the two American guys that you're talking about with the Letterman jackets, they have Letterman jackets. I was like, hey, 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 and so like they're pointing, and they almost like, it's almost like it's a musical. It's like West Side Story for a second, where they're like they snapping their fingers and they're, they're going off screen. You're like, okay, this is so silly. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like this movie was like if Charlie Chaplin, Larry David, and Woody Allen made a silent film about the daily routine of life through absurdity. <laughs> of the present and comedy of the eventual future. 
uh, it's ahead of its time, but also rightly in its place all at once. Uh-huh. So it's like it's sort of ahead of what it's it, it's ahead of where it was at the moment. I think people back then didn't really like probably understand what the what the point was. It's sort of making fun of its own time, but also making fun of the future of where we will be. And, and, and that made me feel like this is a really brilliant idea, you know, um, because I'm, I wonder how many people at that time were really like looking at what was going on. Because I look at this movie and I'm like, this is what happened. This is what we are. Yeah. We are this kind of like society now, but it's like he knew that back in the 60s? Like have we not changed at all? Like like what's going on here? Yeah, I mean he really um you know, especially the scene of the cubicle, the office scene of just like everyone in their box. That was yeah. like 20 yeah. years before that actually was taking place in terms of yeah. that prescience of like we're isolating ourselves further and further and all the glass usage. Um but sorry, Bo, any more thoughts? Oh, no. I mean, I have a couple things, but like we can just discuss them. Um, I thought that it was seamless in the way that it went from scene to scene. Like I was, you know, in the beginning, there's a confusion, I think, from a viewer standpoint of like, where are we going and what is this going to be about? Mm-hmm. And then within 20 or 30 minutes, you're like, oh, OK, I, I realized this is a silent film in a sense. In a sense, it's a silent film and it's about society as a whole uh, more than it is about one singular story of one person's life. It's sort of like making commentary on, on lots of things, which I appreciated. Um, I think it's really funny. I laughed out loud like many times during this film, but I think it's definitely a film that you need to pay attention to because there are a lot Mm -hmm. of like little subtleties going on in the background. Um, Things that are happening in, uh, in a repetitive nature, especially at the, at the restaurant scene where people keep dressing the fish over and over again. It's like they keep doing it. And it, it shows how like distracted we are as a society in some ways and how, how unprepared we are for what's going on right in front of us. Like that whole restaurant scene, I felt like really was the defining, like the, the joy of the film it was like, there are a lot of funny moments and it almost felt like, uh, I don't know, like Pink Panther or something like that, where it's like you've got this character who's sort of like a bumbling fool uh, working himself through society. But then in the restaurant, it's like, holy fuck, this whole ordeal is like it's talking about class and culture and this ridiculous nature of like um, unpreparedness and uh, just uh, snooty high society sort of like needing to be i don't know it was just like there it was like slapstick and also like high high art is some somewhere yeah. in between there you know and that's kind of why i was like it felt like a silent film it felt like a chaplain it felt like like a modern chaplain if he had sound and if he had you know the ability to do it but wouldn't like overdo it with his own voice so um so yeah. you so you both saw it as a kind of a, a critique of modern society or a, or a critique of technological impact Mm, i think more so in the first half i mean i kind of wrote down something about how like i think that the first half felt uh a little bit more like stark in its portrayal of like society and like you know a little bit like less hopeful i guess everyone felt you know a little more like disconnected um 
but I kind of feel like it's the the second half of the restaurant sort of feels like it's saying like, but like humanity will triumph, like despite all of this, you know what I mean? It's like, and we'll still all sort of be bumbling idiots. But I think that the the second half, it, it feels less like a critique and more just like an acceptance of like, yeah, we'll, we'll all be okay despite all of the rest of this, you know? I, I, I really agree with you because like, you know, I think kind of that first half of the film is like, you know, we're putting up all these barriers that separate us from one another, you know, and mm-hmm. like there's, uh, so by the way, uh, this is another MCFC first. Uh, I, I rewatched this. I watched this a second time before tonight because wow, I watched it like a week ago. Uh-huh. And I kind of admit that I was like tired and I was like having a glass of wine. And I was like, all right, watch it. And I was like, and I admit that I was like, I don't, what the hell did I just watch? You know? And, <laughs> and yesterday I rewatched it like at, you know, over breakfast with coffee and eggs. And there was so much subtle hidden comedy. Like it's kind of mind blowing this world that this guy had that in every scene, so much is happening in the background, the mm-hmm. foreground. I mean, it's, it's, it's so meticulous and it's very like, yeah, you can kind of see that influence on, you know, a lot of modern directors, but, uh, there's so much hilarity just playing in the background of almost. So, but I say all that because then it's like, in that first half of him in the business world or at the trade show, there's a lot of random things like, Every there'll be those things where the door opens and there's a reflection of uh the you know Eiffel Tower or the Arc de Triomphe or so all these like this is what you should see as a tourist, but you're not because you're in all these buildings. And yeah. it's kind of that message like you're missing the point in that American tourist of like, oh, a real Parisian, I'm gonna take her a photo. She's selling like mm. and that second half, and one of my favorite characters is that like kind of brash American businessman who is obnoxious but fun and he's not a dick he's not a jerk to anyone but he's very like party it's the masquerade it's the like just shut up and party and like and it is that celebration of life and one of my notes was just kind of like that second half for me is tati making that argument of like life and energy is all around you if you stop and look like kind of again him being way ahead of his time it's like get off your phones there's a concert that's happening right now Get out of yeah. your, you know, get out of this, you know, whatever you're trapped into, because there's so much beauty around you that you're missing. And I think like that was the whole, his whole second half is like the stuffy restaurant tours again, and, like the color thing of like in black and white. And then the American tourist wearing the green dress and like then her and Mr. Hulo, it's like, we're on stage playing piano and getting wasted. I mean, by the way, that restaurant scene is, by the way, okay. It was it, it runs for about 45 minutes. It took them apparently seven weeks to shoot that. He <sighs> gave specific direction to each person in that scene. To each character. I, like, I mean, this is... I think you could say that about the entire movie. You can tell that each mm-hmm. character is doing exactly what they were told to do. There, the opening scene where... Uh, you know the woman walks out and she's or the two the two nuns you know that it's going to be ridiculous right away yeah the two nuns walk in they're the first people you see and their little nun hats are like flapping like birds and then they go down a hallway and then 
very meticulously and planned out, very theatrical. Uh, a woman with a baby, a man with a briefcase, somebody with papers, the, the man and the woman talking about the flight and where are they packed. And like everyone's doing very specific things. I was like, oh, this is a this is going to be a movie about, uh, in my opinion, from the director's standpoint, who's saying, OK, you're going to do this. You're going to move to the left. You're going to go right here. This is what's going to happen. The camera's going to move like that. It's like he knew exactly what he was trying to get, mm-hmm. which I, re- I, I really am excited about. So this wasn't Symbiopsycho Taxi Plasm take? No, 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 no. <clears throat> nope. Um, you know, what, 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 one thing I wanted to say is like, I, I know I brought up the, the silent film thing. Uh, I, have one, I have one, a little beef to pick with this film, if I can bring it up. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because I felt like it was like a silent film and it felt like a silent film direction in the sense of like the story was going a certain way, but what it was missing in my opinion was that singular star, that person within the film that could push the story to an emotional space. I felt like in every Chaplin film, if you watch that Chaplin is the character that you start to like you feel some emotional uh connection to to the point where at the end even though no words have been spoken you really feel for this character you want him to win you want that person that woman or man to win whatever it be but in this film i felt like there was no emotional connection it was just a, a, a again like a social commentary on like well society is kind of silly and stupid and and you're part of it so there it is um and and not to minimize the movie as a whole but like i felt like it could have used some emotional gauge some some story some character that i could really connect to Hmm. brit uh i disagree i i think it works because there's no central character there are a handful that you know I liked the way that it kind of meandered back and forth between, oh, okay, yep, there's the, you know, women, the American tourists again, and okay, here's uh, Tati again, and oh, yeah, there's the guy who ran into the fucking door that he spent all afternoon looking for, you know, like you, these people come in and out of the story in enough of a way that none of them feels like the main character but I think that in the end, instead of feeling emotion about a single character, you feel emotion about humanity. And I think that was the point. Like, I, it's not like I walked away from this being like, well, that was completely devoid of emotion. And I had no what? response. Uh, I well, think I don't feel that way either. I, I, and so I, for me, it's like, I think that's all the more impressive that there was really no story. There was no central character. And yet you still walk away from it feeling something. I think that's. Uh, in, amazingly impressive well uh to circle back you know right before Bo introduced like uh this picture or whatever like you're kind of like how did you uh, why did you pick this and so i had previously seen one of his films mon uncle uh so like mr hulo was like jacques tati's tramp you know his charlie chaplin tramp so he had all these films and this was kind of the culmination and it was very mr bean-esque and he intentionally on this film like i don't want to be the central focus and the punchline so he apparently again and you know you probably read similar things but this bombed in the box office and critics kind of well whatever getting into what critics thought but 
audiences didn't like it because they wanted more Mr. Hulot. They wanted more of that. And he intentionally like minimized that role. Apparently he said in an interview that this, <laughs> the main character of this film was decor. <laughs> Which <laughs> the, the chairs, the doors, the <laughs> scaffolding. It's like that's what I wanted to be yes. the main character. Yes. Which is like, I like that actually. Which is it's kind of fucking brilliant. Like again, yeah. I mean, it's but I, I kind of agree I agree and disagree with both of you. I mean, I, I we'll get into our ratings in a moment, but like I really struggled so much because I think this guy is brilliant and a genius. However, I also watched this twice in one week and I'm like, I don't I don't know, it's very forgettable. Like like the without a main protagonist without a main struggle. I felt disconnected emotionally. I thought it was hilarious. And I thought there was a point that he was making. Yeah. But it's also so famously, there was, uh, this was like the most expensive movie ever made for a uh, French movie of its time. And he built this gigantic set, Tativille, right? And apparently critics were like, you're wasting your money. And he's like, well, if you booked Elizabeth Taylor or Sophia Loren, that would have cost like a billion dollars. They're like, there's, there's an aspect of star quality. Like there's a reason people, and, and I'm, not, I'm not undermining his artistry and like creativity, but I did struggle to like, you're doing so many cool things, but I've watched it twice and I'm kind of like, there's so much I forget already. Like, oh yeah, yeah, this, but so... It's uh, funny as you say as you say those things, Ian. I'm like I want to like disagree with you completely, even though like you're you're in some ways supporting my uh, my point. Like I, I I'm like well no, but like like that's what makes it so great. So like this film is kind of confusing in some ways because it's like I want to yeah. agree and disagree with both of you, and and, and even I, I I agree and disagree with my own points. I'm like yeah, but this, but then also this, and it's like. Because I love, I love the set of this film, and mm -hmm. I love how it's filmed. There are so many scenes, especially when we are looking at these. Like we're talking about this is in the '60s, you know, this is in the '60s, and we're talking about an idea of looking from the street into four different apartments, <gasps> watching four different lives happen at the same time, and how they're all responding to the same content, which is family life and the television. And I felt like, holy fuck, this is really ahead of its time. It was, or maybe it was exactly for that time. Maybe we were just think that it was ahead of its time. But like at that time, people were like, what is this TV doing in our life? Why are we bringing this world into our home when it, it wasn't here 20 years ago? You know, it wasn't mm -hmm. here. And, and now we're, we're, we're bringing this in and we're all just focused on that. And then watching these four different lives sort of unfold over the course of five or 10 minutes. I was like, this is really, really smart. And I feel like people are still making art like that now, but now it's about, it's about the phone that we have in our pocket. The, the thing that we're involved in the, how we get just like are stupid in front of a screen. You know, <laughs> I think like it was ahead of its time. It was actually for the time we're still dealing with the same problem. And, and so there, there's a part of me. It's like, yeah, you watch this film twice and it didn't really like resonate in a strong, strong way. But like I watched it once and I'm telling you, like it kind of hit me in certain ways. And in other ways, I'm like, it could have been stronger. It could have made me feel something differently, but like 
uh, this is this is where this film I think lies really perfectly in that space of like I want to defend it and also I want to like strike it down. It's it's weird. It's weird. I'm protective and also like please kill the baby. You know. I I will go on record and this is this is the hardest movie I had. This is the, I had the hardest time rating this movie. Not to jump mm. to the ratings, but I spent a long long time like I don't no i don't know what to like feel about this movie um brit any final thoughts about playtime yes um i want to uh kind of continue some of what Bo was just saying is like that apartment scene in particular uh i mean there were there were a handful of scenes that sort of dealt with like technology specifically in that way you know that i feel like very much like i'm sure felt relevant at the time but are also extremely relevant today but the one in a subtle way that i thought was the most relevant was that scene that came up earlier of the woman trying to get the photograph of the woman selling flowers because i couldn't help but think of like fucking instagram influencers because it's like Mm -hmm. here you are this already is a perfect shot if you had just gone up and snapped a photo of this woman arranging the flowers with whatever was happening in the background behind her shot her shop it's like that is the photograph that is beautiful and that is actually paris and that's what is happening in this moment yet she spends so much time trying to like no no no, not okay yeah stand there yeah but then no like that that guy he can't be in it's like but that guy is walking by that is what is actually happening right. that guy is walking by so just take the fucking photo of what is actually happening and like i just we live in this world where everything is so like everyone is trying to like stage the perfect mm. photo you know rearrange their food when it comes at the restaurant before they fucking take the photo of it so they can post it to instagram so everyone can know that they ate this food it's like just fucking just just capture it how Mm. it's happening because it's happening just capture it i just Mm. that kind of stuff like drives me insane in real life and to see it depicted in this way in this movie that is so many decades old i was just like wow we have always been this dumb haven't we (laughs) (laughs) there's like cavemen doing their you know cave drawings like okay no no no, wait 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 wait, no no put put the bear over there what the fuck are you doing I I but I think do I do think Tati's genius was like his the the constant like I've never seen a film like this comedy wise that like every joke was like so subtle that it almost hits you like no but and that that point was just like the hilariousness of them that american soldier like ma'am ma'am let me get your picture with this friend <laughs> like that taking it one next level like yeah you wasted your moment now you're part of my picture like but and he does that so i mean i loved the scene where i loved the scene where they were at the uh the the door selling uh they were selling oh, doors God. that don't slam that they slam amazing. silently and then he goes <laughs> shut the door and there's just is no sound and i was like what a brilliant like like this guy i feel like i would really get along with this director yeah i feel like i would get along with tati uh i think that he's very funny and could hang with this kind of absurd cartoon brain sort of idea you know mm-hmm. he and and the, i one of the notes i jotted down was just like his his jokes per minute ratio like there are so many scenes that are like they're constantly hitting you with like the most yeah. silly punchline, but yeah, that's a, I mean, and 
particularly that restaurant scene. I don't know. Did either of you have a favorite either character or gag that kept recurring throughout? <laughs> I know you'd mentioned the fish. They just kept resaucing, and then they they uh, said. Well, well, I mean, I mean, to me, the 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 greatest gag of the entire movie is when the door shatters and he has yeah. the handle of the door. <laughs> that that to I me. Mean- is like the way that, that no one would walk in until he opened the handle is like it is unbelievably like Chaplin esque. It's yeah. so good. It's so fucking good. That was what, maybe what the you, greatest Brett? just in part. I mean, it was fantastic, but maybe just in part because we got so much. It was stretched out for so long. But I think yeah. uh, a close second for me is the waiter whose pants ripped initially. And then he was just like <laughs> yes. relegated yes. to the fucking corner to just. Uh, you know continuously collect the the tattered yep. whatever's of everybody else's outfit shoes and 100%. all throughout the night that just and then like seeing him just sort of like you know walking around totally dejected at the end of the night like yeah. that was fantastic too <laughs> what I, about you ian i had like a close there was two really and it was uh, the drunk at the bar who kept falling over and then they put him, they stood the stool yes. upright and set him in there like that, that, but it was like such a great recurring, like, and he goes down. All right. Let's like, and then also the other insanely smashed dude that is asking for directions that he's like painting his finger on the marble and he's reading the marble like a map like that. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I don't yeah. know why. Cause like, I also kind of love, like it, it's been so long, but I miss I kind of miss that degree of seeing, being at a party and seeing, it's been so long that I've seen someone so intoxicated. You know, they're okay. You know, they're not going to die, but they're so intoxicated that they're like reading marble, like a map and getting yeah. like, trying to find like, and stumbling out and everyone's laughing. Like he'll get home. Like, oh, <laughs> and that there is some pure, just like, silliness ridiculousness joy in that kind of like mm-hmm. that night you know and i kind of love that this film kind of culminates and then segues into that like post-party coffee espresso of like uh-huh. well, that was crazy like y'all were fun you know like, that was a fun night like let's go uh but that's all <laughs> well we were talking about how um the service industry uh and, and, and as the movie was happening we were kind of like discussing quickly about like it's insane how nothing seems to get done until like two minutes before something is about to happen in the service industry of like catering and events. And then this movie did a really great job of like showcasing that. And, mm-hmm. and, and one of the most like hilarious moments is like when that, that main maitre d' or the waiter comes out and he steps on that one tile and it pulls up and then he just keeps walking around with it. And then they like, have to super glue it down. It's like they keep finding like screwdrivers. It's like, yeah, nothing's ready. Nothing's ready ever. Yeah. And they're like trying to like trying to get things going, but it's like it's not ready to be going. Um, which is so it was so so well done in this film. Yeah. And I was gonna that, point that, that out. Just the whole intro to that restaurant scene, not only I thought was amazing just in terms of representing how, like you said, like in you know catering events service industry whatever it's like it is always that like like every last screw is being screwed in until like the millisecond before you know guests are walking in the door but also just like to go back to tati as a director like the way that all of that was orchestrated 
was amazing and like the fact that you know they sort of like managed to get the initial entryway like polished enough to where people could enter but then there yeah. was that slow reveal of like oh and then this person's still painting and okay then they're gonna go over here and now they're walking in a little more and this guy's just finishing buffing the floor you know it's just like the way that that all revealed i i thought was awesome again his jokes per minute it's like even when the, the first guests arrive at the restaurant uh, as you know, the host is not ready. The, the coat check woman is not ready. Yeah. She's scrambling, like eating food, then grabs the coat off the woman as her colleague is putting her coat yes. on. <laughs> I was like, that is like, yeah, I, I don't know. Sorry. I could, you know, that scene or, alone, or the scene where they're trying to measure out the window to put the plate through. And they're like, just turn it to the side. Just turn the plate <laughs> to the side. It doesn't fit that way. Turn it this way. It's like, Oh, I don't know if we can do this. It's like, it does show how like like ridiculous and ignorant people can be if when they're just supposed to do what they're supposed to do and not think, you know. Yeah. yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, we've been talking at length. Uh, what did y'all rate playtime? Bo, what did you give playtime? Uh okay. So I gave this film. Uh, I'm giving this film an eight point. Eight. I'm okay. gonna give this film an eight point. What are you, eight. Ian? Wow. Yeah. Point eight now because I because I was like somewhere between eight point five and nine. I'm gonna do an eight point eight. Uh, okay. I recommend this film, but I also know very well that I couldn't recommend it to a lot of people because they wouldn't have the patience for it, mm -hmm. and that's okay. That's totally okay. Um, but I think that most people who want to watch a film want to watch it for a different reason than what this film is made for and so i would say i give it an 8.8 .8. i highly recommend it to the people who are like i want something new fresh and different or an idea that comes from some intelligent understanding of the social commentary that needs to happen whether that be the 60s or today there's something really funny about this and and, and like i like uh chaplin films I like this film in that way. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody, but it is good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Britt. Um, I couldn't agree more. I also think that everything that we might have said or thought about this film that is a negative, I think is not really a negative about this film. It's just trying to shoehorn it into the box of what films are, quote, supposed to be. And I don't think that's fair. I enjoyed this on every level. I thought it was fucking brilliant and super original. And I gave it a nine. Wow. We're coming in with a nine. Um, mm -hmm. I'm just like so good at picking movies for film club. Oh, no, uh, you know I'm what? Kidding. Actually, I gave it a no. five. Uh, the comedy. No, no, no. The comedy. Before I give you my rating, and I told you I really struggle with this. Um. I, I am, this is one of the few times I'm going to reference Roger Ebert's review of this picture. Oh. But Oh, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't look it up. Tell us. I did look it up, and there's this, I thought he articulated very well, but something I think is important. I think this movie is very important. I think this is, again, brilliant, and I agree that I would not recommend it to a lot of people because I don't think they, it's not accessible for a lot of people. But I think, this film like really pushed you know this art form um in many ways 
Uh, as mentioned, this I don't know if I mentioned it earlier, but this movie bankrupted Jacques Tati. Like he funded a lot of this. He ended up like mortgaging his house, all his other films. Like he lost his shirt just to make this picture. And I loved that. To quote uh, Ebert, was the commercial failure of the film bankrupted Tati and cost him the ownership of his home, his business, and all of his earlier films. Was, t- was Tati reckless to risk everything on such a delicate? whimsical work reckless for you reckless for me not reckless for a dreamer and (laughs) yeah like i admire he had a dream he had a vision like this is something that he's like i don't care if i die penniless like i'm gonna do this that being said, I gave it a 7.7. So I did. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Ian. <laughs> no, I mean, Holy no. shit. And Fuck you, Ian. <laughs> Fuck you. Ah, I just, for the dreamer. Ah, for the dreamer of all of us. You know what? Look inside yourself and find yourself that that. I give this a 4.5. You know, it's like, <laughs> Fuck you, Ian. Fuck you. <laughs> you know there what? There are doers, there are doers, and there are dreamers. You know what? And he's a doer. Whatever. I don't he need to. Ju- I don't need to justify li- this. Li- if we he review, lives. he lives re- on. Let's review the tape. You you had mentioned like you know. Anyway, anyway, we we've been talking a long time. Anyway, I'm glad you both enjoyed Jacques Tati's playtime. I do. If you like this, I would recommend his other films. He has a style unique to him, and you know, never, honestly, if nothing else, I've never seen anything like playtime. It's kind of this thing where like you For see sure. this movie and they're like. People were like, it was extinct when it came out. Like, no, it's like, no one is doing this. Like, no one s- before or since is doing what this guy's doing with this film media. But uh, are you ready, as always, for a little bit of trivia before we conclude tonight's episode? Hell yes. Yeah. Well, yes. Um, I have two questions, as you know. Uh, raise your hand uh, if you know the answer. Uh, Bo, since he knows me so well, probably can imagine where I'm going with these questions. Oh, boy. But question number one, are you ready? Yep. Speaking of playing time or playtime, in 1988, Tom Hanks starred as Josh Baskin in the movie Big. One of the most famous scenes involves Josh dancing on an illuminated keyboard with company president Mr. McMillan. At which famous toy store? Ooh, Brit. F.A.L. Schwartz. There's no way. There's no way. That was like a full two seconds before you. (laughs) Oh my god. I saw. I saw. I saw Britt's hand first. Uh, And I'm sorry, Britt. You said. F.A.L. Schwartz. That is correct. For one point, uh, Britt is on the board with F.A.O. Schwartz. Now, uh, congratulations, Britt. Bo is upset, but don't worry, Bo. I'm upset. Out. I'm upset because when I raised my hand, it was like this, and then I saw it was like this. It was like... Okay. And so, there well, may be... Well, you recorded be, it. There you may recorded be, it, right? So, you can that's see. That's true. That's true. There may be a delay, and that's okay. And that's okay. I'm glad that Britt got the point. Okay, what's the next question? Well, um... Did you really think uh, my follow-up question would be, which song did they play? Come on. We all know that was heart and soul. (laughs) So for the second question, (laughs) uh, we're going to uh, stick with Hanks. But as I mentioned earlier, Jacques Tati built an incredibly elaborate set for Playtime, which the locals dubbed Tativille. Which film, directed by Steven Spielberg and starring Tom Hanks, 
features an elaborate replica set inspired by playtime. Bo. Catch me if you can. That is incorrect. Brit oh, for the steal. As soon as I said it. The terminal. That is correct. Fred with the clean <laughs> sweep. <Okay. laughs> that is correct. Spielberg, inspired by Playtime's opening scene of the airport, built an exact replica of JFK Airport for the terminal. You know what? Eat That's it. a great question. Those are great <laughs> trivia questions. Those were. Great job, Britt. Congratulations. Wow. Thank off, you. Just starting the we new season off. Here. <laughs> wow. Um, well, congratulations. And uh, it's been a great show. I'm glad uh, we it got has. to do Jacques Tati. Thank you so much for that great pick. It really was. It is, it is why I love this so much. Is because I probably wouldn't have found this film. And I wouldn't have watched this film. But I was forced to. And, and that's a good thing because I watched it and I really watched it with intent and I enjoyed it so thoroughly um, that I, I am, I'm really glad that it's part of my, I mean, this is not trying to be like emotional, but it's like, I'm glad that it's part of my history that I got to see this film because it is something that I'm glad I got to see in my lifetime. So um, thank you. That being said, uh, we're going to go a little bit more mainstream on this next week because there's a film that I've really wanted to see. Um, it's a newer film. It's a, an, an adaptation that has already been done in the past, and maybe you've seen it. And, and honestly, maybe you've seen this film already because it is in the uh, public eye pretty heavily. But I want to see um, the new version of Dune, and it's currently available on HBO, and I think it will be when you hear it. It's directed by... Denis Villeneuve. That's the, the way you say his name. He directed it. I it, it looks like Denis Villeneuve, but it's not. It's... Denis Villeneuve. That's how you say it. I, 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 don't, I don't know why. I can't say it with my words. I can't say it with my lips, but it looks like Denis Villeneuve, but it's not. It's Denis okay. Villeneuve. Yeah. So anyway, it's the new version wow. of Dune starring starring Timothy Chalamet and uh, Zendaya, which is hey. always a bonus. Hey, girl. Um, but I hope that we can enjoy that in the future. Um, yeah, I guess that's uh, that's that's everything and all the things uh, we love you. I mean, I personally love you, but like I also I love you. I love you. I love you. Cinema Film Club is brought to you by Shit Show Media. Make sure you check out all of our upcoming movies we'll be talking about on our Instagram at Movie Cinema Film Club. If you have an opinion, a comment, or a movie you think we should watch and discuss, email us at moviecinemafilmclub at gmail.com. This week's episode was written by Ian Chove, Brittany Everett, and me, Bo Hufford, and it was edited by Brittany Everett. Remember, support your local cinema, don't spoil films, be oh so quiet at the movies, and for the love of God, choose to read subtitles and boycott film dubbing. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.